Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here and we hope that you're encouraged by today's message from our youth pastor, Colton Barker. It's a good morning this morning. It's a good morning, church. And, uh, and so I hope you enjoyed your long weekend last week and a break in our message um, talking about our Thanksgiving celebration and having the child dedication. And we were able to watch from BC. It's a beautiful uh, service, but we were able to go back and see our family and our friends in BC. But it's always good to come back as well and to be back with the Father's house in person and to be back in our series we've been in going through the book of Hebrews. And so today we're resting in chapter three where really we see it's a continuation of the theme we've looked at in the first two chapters of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And so over the past month or so, we've started this deep dive into this incredible book looking at various truths and revelations of Jesus. I mean, we looked at how he's superior to everything and everyone who has come before him and everyone and everything that will come after him. I mean, he's the exact expression of God in the flesh, and it's through Jesus that God has actually chosen to speak through to us in these last days. Pastor Peter talked about how he's greater than the angels. He's greater than any other God that people were tempted to worship. And so we start to see already in these first two chapters that maybe it's important, and this pattern emerges, that maybe it's important to understand that Jesus is of this paramount rank. Okay, Jesus is at the top. There's none above him. And so this is our direction we're looking at even today, and we're going to learn that there's a focus in chapter 3 of Jesus being a superior leader. Jesus being a superior leader. And especially to these Old Testament leaders and believers that, you know, people were holding up with this high regard. Throughout the Bible, we see that there's times where different things or people or different gods are being placed at the highest in people's lives. And even looking around today, I don't know if that's a dead issue. I think sometimes we can tend to let things lead our lives, lead us in whichever direction they may go, right? Money might be something that that maybe you've you've found um, has led you in your life, right? If I get to this much amount of money, then I'll take that next step. If I can make it to this point in my position in my job, then I'll take that next step. But Hebrews 3 is telling us, look, we need to seek Christ in all things, And chapter 3 starts off on a similar note of chapters 1 and 2, saying these Old Testament believers, these leaders were incredible, and they may have done good things, and what you have figured out in your life today may have taken you this far, right here and there it's been good, and you've managed to make it to this far, but Hebrews 3, the bottom line today, is it's telling us Christ is worthy of a greater honor, because it's actually in Him where we find our true freedom, and so we should be seeking Him in all things. And so in our text today, starting in verse 3 and 6, let's read it together. It says, But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house, if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. 
And so in many ways, like it's said in our, our text this morning, Moses' work was but an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. You see, there's still a place that we are to find our hope and trust in. There's a promised land that God is trying to lead his people back to even today. And so the Bible is saying, look, Moses was this great leader. Hebrews is saying, look, maybe you figured it out and it's worked a little bit. He, uh, Moses was this awesome leader. But there's a greater leader who has come to bring you even further even further than you can even imagine. And this is Jesus. And so this is what we're looking at. This is the encouragement for us to keep from hardening our heart towards God and to see Jesus in everything, to see Jesus through it all. Because as we find out, he is more than sufficient. And so let's pray this morning and then we'll see what our text has for us this morning, church. And so God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that we can praise your name and lift your name on high, God. I thank you for what you say is that's true, God, and you are here with us even this morning, God, leading the way. And so let us be attentive to your spirit. Let us follow what your spirit has to say this morning, God, and let it rest in our hearts. And so, Father, we thank you and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So really, I call this message, Jesus, our leader. Right? It's simple because I really feel it's an encouraging text to let us know that we need to be led by Christ in all things. There's temptation, I mentioned, to follow other aspects or to be led by other things in this life that have great influence, but Christ is the one we should be seeking. And so chapter 3 of Hebrews continues in this interesting direction in that it actually starts to refer to other passages in the Bible, and specifically in the Old Testament out of the book of Numbers. And so we understand that the chapter in Hebrews is a warning referring to Old Testament passage. And it's an encouraging warning, but it's still a warning referring to maintaining this heart position towards God. And so he warns us about becoming doubtful of God's leadership in our life and God's movement in our life. And so this is what it says continuing in verse 7 and 8. That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. So today, when you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And so what does this mean for us today? Well, I think looking back on the Israelites, it lays out three ways that, that hardens our hearts towards God. So looking at their story, looking at their journey, I believe there's three ways that the Bible shows us that we harden our hearts, whether intentional or unintentional. And so it's important to understand the Israelites were people who were under captivity in Egypt, working as slaves, but God, using this man named Moses, delivers them out of Egypt to return them to the land of Canaan and restoring this nation. And so God had led the Israelites out of slavery through the wilderness up to the very edge of the promised land. We see on their journey that God had protected them, had fed them, had provided for them, had fulfilled every single promise, and he brought them up to the edge of the promised land. And when it came time to take that step, the people refused. After witnessing all the miracles of God being led by cloud by day and fire by night, why did the people refuse? Well, Hebrews lays it out pretty clearly. They had hardened their hearts. Or in other words, they had stopped trusting in God. 
and in chapters 13 and 14 of Numbers, we're shown how this process comes about in the actions that they take. And so we understand that this group of people reached the point of Kadesh, which is just outside of Canaan, the promised land, and, and they send in 12 spies to assess the land. So the land that they're going into to see its strengths and defenses, and they send in 12 people to explore the land for 40 days. And their job is to then come back and report what they had seen. And so this is what we understand from the report in Numbers 13, verse 27 and 28. It says, we entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing from with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. And it's in this passage that we start to understand how they start to turn from God's direction. And so what's the first way that we harden our hearts that I believe is shown in the Israelite story here? Well, the first one, stop believing in God's movement. They stopped believing in God's movement. Even after their entire journey and witnessing the miracles of God, I mean, this is the same group that had walked through a parted Red Sea, had it closed back up on his enemies, and when they get to this point, the Bible says they see the giants and they start to see themselves as too small. Suddenly, this is too big for them. They stop believing in God's movement and his ability to move ahead of them and within them, and they start saying this to one another in verse 31 to 33, we can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. They're too big. God had brought them to the very edge, but yet this was too much. They stopped trusting in God once they saw the threat that was in front of them. And when you stop believing in God's movements, well, then you're forced to only see from one perspective. You're forced to only see from what's in front of us physically. And the book of Numbers uses this word a lot in that passage. You know, they saw the giants. They saw that they were huge. They saw the people there and the strengths and the defenses. And that word saw in the Bible, if you look at the translation of how it's used in the, in the Bible, it actually stems from a Hebrew word meaning to advise oneself. And so they saw the giants. They began to advise oneself. And Pastor Peter mentioned a couple weeks ago, you know, we're not very good managers of people, even ourselves sometimes, right? He said, you know, he came home from work one day and his shirt was completely inside out, backwards. It was like, how did we even manage to do that? But sometimes as people, we have a hard time managing ourselves. And so when we look from our own perspective, when we see with our own eyes, sometimes we run into trouble when we try to advise only ourselves, right? And that root word, if you look in the Bible, if you look in Scripture, it actually comes up in different moments as well. Eve saw the apple on the tree. Elijah saw the threat that was coming towards him and fled and hid for his life. When we stop believing in God's movement, we're forced to only see in our own ability, and we miss out on God's advice that we get when seeking and seeing him. So it's an act of faith to wake up and say, you know what, I choose a God lens rather than a worldly lens. And we see the Israelites in this passage choosing a worldly lens. They weren't looking to God. 
But when we do, it's incredible, church, how you'll see his involvement and his movement in things. And there's a beautiful verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, from the message translation that talks about our life in Christ. And I think it's a beautiful picture of, you know, what our life represents and how we can, how we can lead with God and follow God. And this is what it says. This resurrection life you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? Isn't that beautiful? Right? When we come to see giants and obstacles coming our way, Jesus is saying, look, you can take God by the hand and just say, what's next, God? You brought us here. What's next, Papa? Where are you bringing us? I think that's a beautiful word and, and it's a picture of our life in Christ as we seek him and let him lead our life. So the first way the Israelites begin to stop believing in God's movement, here's the second way that hardens their hearts. They tried to move things on their own. When you try to move things on your own, you stop believing in God and stop trusting in God. How many times have we thought that God needed a little hand? Right? He was going the wrong way and, you know, I'm going to help out God. I'm going to bring him back to this direction because clearly this is where we're going. And so you try to give God a little bit of a hand, right? He needs your help. Sometimes I feel like we can do this and we understand that the Israelites, when they stop believing in his movement, they start to lose the plot a little bit and they stop trusting in the direction and the journey that they've been going on. And this is what they say in verse 3 and 4 in Numbers chapter 14. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? So they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back into captivity and into slavery. So when they stop believing in God's movement, they try to move things on their own. We're going to have a new leader, and we're going to head back. And sometimes I think that we can do this too. And in preparing this message, I was reminded of a time when I was in high school when I was trying to find this natural rock slide. And I'd heard about this rock slide for about a couple years. It was 20 minutes away from like my house. And I said, you know what, today's the day we're gonna find this rock slide and we're gonna slide down it. And so four of my friends, we went, we went to this mountain and we were told that you would find this slide through an opening in the foliage. Those were the directions I got. And I said, I'm gonna roll with that, that's enough. I can find this rock slide. And so we began on this journey up the side of a mountain on a gravel road, looking in each opening in the foliage, and one hour goes by, didn't find it. Two hours go by, I'm checking in every opening that I think maybe, you know, maybe this will lead to it. Three hours go by, I'm hearing water less and less, it's getting farther away. I'm like, okay, this can't be the way. Four hours go by, I'm seeing workers, like arborists, working in the mountains. I'm like, I definitely should not be here. We should never be seeing each other in this context. And so defeated, we head back down. And another three hours go by. We ignored all the warning signs of, you know what, I'm hearing the water less. No one said it's this far up. And so we got all the way back down that day. And that day, we didn't even find the rock slide. Seven hours, we didn't even find it until we got back to the parking lot, and it was 50 yards that way. <laughs> and we never even slid down it, because it was dark at this point. 
But sometimes we're so close, and I was convinced, right, we needed to hike this mountain, we needed to go this way, and we're so close that we get so caught up in where we think we're going that we start to abandon the truth and the wisdom that God is trying to provide to us all along. I mean, there's even a passage in the Israelite story earlier on in Exodus where the Bible talks about how, you know, God's going to bring them down the longer way. There's a shortcut, there's a shorter path, but God says this one's safer, and so they're going to go down this way. And I think sometimes we forget that God has the whole picture, and we see the shortcut, and we, sh- and we see the short path, and we think, God, it must be this way. But he actually brings us around because there's a bigger reason. And so in trusting God, you know, that's part of it. We don't always see the bigger picture. And so we understand they stop believing in God's movement. They try to move things on their own. And here's the third way I believe they harden their hearts towards God is they start to engage in murmuring. A bit of a weird one. But they start to murmur to one another. And the Bible tells us that the Israelites, they spread this bad report throughout the group. Right? This mindset and lack of hope began to spread throughout God's people until there was a disbelief among all of them and their hearts were closed off towards God. The Bible tells us that, you know what, all these spies went and 10 of them were negative, but two of them were positive. And so those 10, those negative reports began to spread. And I realized something in the past couple weeks that it's almost too easy to speak or to think something negative, right, over your situation, over someone else, over what you're going through. And we were reflecting in our Freedom in Christ class on Wednesday evening in speaking these different truths about our identity that's found in Scripture, and that was our homework for the week. We had to kind of uh, read aloud these different Scripture verses over ourselves, and in doing that, I realized, wow, I could really think negatively about this situation that I'm in. It was in seeking out God's truth and Scripture that I realized this negativity in my life. I mean, I'm driving into school, and it's an hour long, and I'm stuck in traffic, And it's like, wow, I really hate driving to school right now. But instead, you start speaking these truths over yourself, and God gives you this vision. Wow, thank you that I get to pursue an education, God. Thank you that I have a car, that I'm not taking the bus right now or walking, God. Thank you. And so what the Bible is saying is that this kind of talk, this negativity or, or murmuring gets us really nowhere. It's kind of like entering into a roundabout, and you just, you never exit, because you're not, you're not doing any prog- like progress, you know what I mean? It's just, uh, it's just a roundabout kind of way. And so we actually learn that this man, who was named Caleb, one of the positive spies, was wisely seeking the Lord, but they began to plot against them, murmuring to each other about needing a new leader, heading back to Egypt, and it spread throughout the group, and we see a nation destined for the promised land, closed off from God, sent to wander instead in the wilderness, for 40 years because they had stopped trusting in God. What we don't understand is that murmuring often hardens our hearts as much as it hardens the hearts of others. I remember a story um, from this youth leader who who shared this funny story at a a youth rally, but one time she had received a nasty message and, and was spoken a nasty word over herself from this guy named Matt. Okay, and then Matt became like isolated, we don't like Matt anymore, we don't invite Matt anymore, okay, he's excluded from everything. And so weeks go by and two weeks go by and almost a month now, and this guy Matt is just isolated, she doesn't like Matt. And then she finds out that Matt actually just had a huge crush on this one girl. 
but through word of mouth, through someone saying something to another person, it came to her that he had said this nasty word. And so how important is it to be seeking truth and and discerning and, and pursuing the truth in all things? I mean, disagreeing is a part of life, but it's always better to speak to that person, right? Seek out truth, ask for discernment. And I wonder if those spies, those initial 10 negative ones, what if they had gone to Caleb and Moses and asked, you know, what's your perspective? Why, why aren't you agreeing with us? You know, what would have happened if, if they did that? And so Numbers brings us through this passage of showing how the Israelites began to close themselves off from God. And so how do we avoid it? Well, it's rooted in trusting in God and seeing Jesus as our leader. And the Bible tells us that they weren't able to enter into this promised land because of their unbelief. And so this is the warning we're getting in Hebrews 3. Look, don't harden your hearts as Israel did, right? They stopped believing in God's movement. They tried to move things on their own, and they were murmuring without discerning. And this is the warning, the encouragement to us from Hebrews chapter 3. Well, let's read it in chapter, in verses 12 and 14, the ways that I believe the Bible tells us how do we avoid this process? How do we avoid a following suit like the Israelites? This is what it says, starting in verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Well, what's the first way that I I believe Hebrews is warning us to avoid a hardened heart? What set it right in there? The first one, encourage one another daily. Encourage one another to move towards God. This is the first way that we as a church are to avoid this lack of trust in God. One of the greatest revelations I had as a new believer is that church isn't just what we're doing right now. It's not what we're just doing right now, right? It's Monday through Saturday. It's, it's God's blueprint system of a body of believers coming together to support and to disciple one another. This is church. And I remember one time my wife said something that had stuck with me that I thought was beautiful. She was working a funeral that was here at the church. She's on staff. And so there was a death uh, for one of our church family members. And so she was working this funeral. And it was beautiful, she said, to see how many people came by their side and helped them make the celebration of life happen. I mean, some people helped in organizing and donating food and organizing a meal train or donating their time or whatever it was. And so this beautiful celebration of life happened and she came home to me encouraged and she said, you know what? That's the church. That was a picture of the church. People coming together to support one another in a time of grieving, in a time of need. This is the church. And a few months ago, again, Michaela and I, we were able to have lunch with Mrs. Agri. We were having lunch, and she was asking us about our projection, just where we see, or, you know, where are we going, how are we doing? And I was sitting there in the middle of this conversation we were having, and I just thought to myself, how amazing is it to have someone with such a rich supply of advice be speaking words of encouragement over me, giving me advice, supporting me in this journey? And it was in that moment that God just, he gave me this word of, you know what, the church needs to be this generational space of supporting and lifting up one another. Like that funeral, I mean, this is God's blueprint in keeping trust and keeping faith in him. It's a body of Christ. It's a group responsibility. 
And so when I say this, I believe it. You know, I believe younger people in the room, if you're in here, I think we need to seek out someone of the older generation and ask for their encouragement, ask for advice, seek counsel from the body of Christ. And I also think older people in the room, find someone younger who you can encourage. Find someone younger that you can speak truth over. This is what God is saying. This is how we avoid this hardened heart. But God is saying when you're you're losing hope in me, when you have that lack of trust in me, it is the body of Christ that I have sent you to keep your eyes fixated on me. This is God's system. It is not just Sunday, but Monday through Saturday. And Hebrews is saying, encourage, encourage, encourage daily. Right? It's important for you to be here to receive that love and concern, but it's just as important for you to be the one to speak it. And if you're thinking, I don't have that gift, I can't hear from God, trust me, you can be the one to speak it as well. If we look to Jesus and see him in everything. So how do we avoid having this hardened heart, right? Encourage one another daily to move towards God. Here's the second way, remembering and celebrating how God has moved. Encouraging one another to move towards God, remembering how God has moved. We looked at how the Israelites made it up to that point. They were in this land of Kadesh, just outside of Canaan. And it was like they got to this point and they forgot how God had moved and how God had led them. Right after seeing all these miracles, they get to this point and it's like, well, we're stuck. God, they're too big. They can't move. Right? They had a little bit of short term memory loss, I think. And so they get to this point and they stop remembering how God had led them by cloud by day, by fire by night. But the Bible tells us that look, God is still leading his people today. And he actually gives us the Holy Spirit to do so. And I was reminded of a time when the Holy Spirit had spoke to me so clearly that it actually encouraged me in remembering this moment in dealing with a fear that I was going through later on. And so in discipleship school, uh, through the church here, we went to LA to the Dream Center, and we did a week of volunteering there. And one of the things we were doing was this outreach in this uh, park in, in the streets of LA, and their outreach was to give water bottles and whatever packets of food that they had been donated earlier on in the week. And so they would donate, uh, they would hand out these packets of water and food um, to homeless people who were living in the park. And so they had a specific day of the week that they would do this, so they had relationships with these people. And this was our job, was to just tag along with them and introduce ourselves and hand out these resources. And so we got through half of our pile. Um, Hannah and I, we were both students in there, and we got through half of our pile and giving this out. And I reached in for the next one, And I took it out, and the Holy Spirit had spoke so clearly to me, like an impression on my heart, like a thought in my mind, this next one is not for someone who's homeless. And I began to do the second point. I began to go my own way, thinking, you know what, God, this is so backwards from what we're doing. This is so wrong. We're supposed to give this out to people who are living on the streets, yet this one is not meant for someone who's homeless. And so we wrap around this little outside theater, and I see this man sitting on the park nearest park bench nearest to the road, and I know so clearly, okay, this one is meant for him. And so we introduce ourselves, and we have this amazing 40-minute chat. I get to hear his story. He gets to hear my story. We invite him to church. He was, in fact, not homeless, but he was a lost person who who left his family, sold all of his things, and sort of living this nomad life, and we were able to invite him to church. 
And I believe God's working in his life today, but the point is, flash forward a couple of days, and our next outreach is on Skid Row. And if you don't know Skid Row, I didn't before him, it's about 52 square blocks of poverty and homelessness in the middle of LA. And it's, it's, it's a rough portion of the city. I mean, some parts of it, power is cut off to it, and you're looking and you're seeing like the skyscrapers and the buildings in, in this area of really darkness. And so there's homeless and poverty all over the place. And the following morning, our old youth pastor had asked if anyone was scared. And I wanted to reserve that thought. But I admitted, I said, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I was pretty scared. I mean, I was experiencing new things. You know, there maybe shouldn't have been a reason to be scared, but I was. I was seeing parts of, you know, my country that I'd never seen before, and I was scared, but only initially, because the Lord reminded me of how he was so faithful and speaking to me the days before that he had been with us up to that point, that he had led me already, and so surely he hasn't yet abandoned me. God is with us. And so it's important to celebrate and remember how God has been faithful, right? Maybe he'll remind you of a a situation that he got you through that's similar to the one you're going through, but it's important to celebrate and to remember what God has been doing in his people and in your own life. And it's why I honestly have to start every single prayer with gratitude. God, thank you that you provided for me. God, thank you for your provision. God, thank you for your leadership because it just directs my heart back to God. And so this is what Hebrews is telling us as well. Remember and celebrate how God has moved. And so here's the third way, the last way that I believe Hebrews is telling us how to avoid this hardened heart. And so number three is being wary of sin's deceitfulness. Being wary of it, being on guard of it. The thing about sin is that its number one goal is to make us think that God isn't for us, right? The Israelites, we understand, they took their eyes off of God and they started telling themselves, look, us, our wives, our little kids, we're all gonna die in battle if we try to move forward into this land, right? Is God even really for us if he's bringing us here? And this is sin's number one tactic in deceiving us. There's this great book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters, and if you don't know the book, you're essentially reading this novel from the perspective of two devils. And so you're reading it, every chapter is a new letter from the senior devil, screw taped to a more novice devil. And so what this book is, is it kind of gives you a different picture of how sin operates in our lives, and maybe some of the tactics that the enemy tries taking. And so there's this great quote that I think gives an important idea about sin. There's a line where Screwtape writes, it's funny, how mortals always picture us putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. I read that line, I thought, wow, do I never need to be on alert and actively be pursuing truth in all things, right? If the enemy's number one motive is to deceive you into thinking something that's not true, then we should be seeking the truth in everything, right? There's so many things in this world that we see that you know, are false or, or backwards that the enemy is not even concerned about planting thoughts. It's really just getting us to not know the truth, to not know God's word. And that's the deception that the enemy tries taking. And I love our group nights on Wednesday here at the building. I love that there's different classes happening in this room, in the back rooms, and there's different teachings happening because the Bible is telling us, look, we need to be better equipped with our sword. And next week we talk about how the Bible is your sword. 
And so this is the third way that we're understanding, you know, how do we avoid this lack of trust? How do we avoid this hardened heart towards God? Because there will be times, church, when the enemy will try and pull you away from God's leadership and direction in your life. But Hebrews, I really believe that this chapter is such an encouraging chapter, right? It's a warning, but it's encouraging for us to know, look, these are some ways that we can be protecting our hearts from the things of this world so that we don't take our vision off of God. Encourage one another daily to move towards Him. Remember and celebrate how God has moved and is moving. And be wary of sin's deceitfulness, which tries to tell you God God can't move in you. And I found myself as I was talking with God this week and and writing this message and, and reading scripture, that the spirit of joy was just on me the entire time. And even in looking in the Israelites' passage, I mean, we're, we're seeing this nation closed off from God, but it was like the spirit of joy came on me in recognizing, you know, how good is our God, how gracious, how merciful, how trustworthy, how powerful is our God that he just says, look to me and look at the beautiful and bountiful promises I have for you. Just seek me out in it all. And then we can take his hand and he just wants to hear us say, what's next, Papa? What's next, God? How good is he that we can do that and we can protect our hearts from being deceived? I want to read this scripture one last time in chapter 3, verse 12 and 14, and you can read it with me out loud if you want, but let's read it together. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. God is leading his people even today. And as he's leading his people, I believe he's saying, don't miss it. And I think that's part of the warning this morning. Don't miss it. Don't miss out on this promised land that I have for you by hardening your hearts towards me. God's saying, don't miss it. Thanks for joining us today. If you want more information, please visit our website, tfhchurch.ca, and we'll see you next week.